0: Discussion keeps the world turning.
1: This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing. I'm your host, He Yang. Good as always to have you join us. This September 23rd marks China's sixth. Farmers Harvest Festival, a time to celebrate farmers' hard work and shed some light on agriculture. China takes on the gargantuan task of securing food for 1.4 billion people, and akin to every other country on the planet, needs to navigate new challenges presented by climate change. In 2021, China joined forces with the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, or FAO, on a project focused on enhancing agricultural industry development in 16 impoverished Chinese villages. Two years later, to discuss the successful culmination of this endeavor and more, we have special guest Dong Le, program officer from FAO's China office, as well as our very own Li Yi, in the studio for this special show. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Dong Le, the program officer from FL China office. Glad to share what we are doing in China. Thank you.
1: This is great to have you and Li Yi, you've done some reporting in various villages in different parts of China. So it's great to have you to share some of your views on all of these interesting subjects. Of course, I think it will be an interesting discussion. There you go. And first, Li Yi, enlighten us on the celebrations of China's Farmer's
2: Harvest Festival this year. Sure. Actually, Chinese Farmers Harvest Festival is the first national festival held specifically for farmers, and each year celebrated during the autumn equinox or Chufen in Chinese, which is actually a solar term of the traditional Chinese calendar, and also marks the harvest season. And this year, it falls on September the twenty-third. And for celebrations for this festival this year, the main venue for Harvest Festival celebration is Wuhu City in Anhui Province. And there are exhibitions, village scenery, video competition, performances featuring cultural heritage and folk culture, and also a consumption season promotion was also launched to boost the trade of quality farm products. I think major e-commerce platforms here in China are all getting involved to boost the sales of agricultural products. And meantime, very own CMG is organizing an evening gala to mark the Harvest Festival. This year, the event is held in the city of Erdos which is also in North China's inner Mongolia autonomous region, and there are programs which encourage discussions on topics such as vitalizing farmer industry, food security, and ecological protection. The show will be broadcasted on September 23rd on two channels, CCTV1 and CCTV17, so make sure to tune in. So basically, there are celebrations all across China in local communities and rural areas to celebrate this Harvest Festival. It can be performance, except and some interesting farming experience activities. But I think all in all, the purpose of this Harvest Festival is to celebrate harvest and also let farmers enjoy the moment and feel proud and happy about what they are doing. I think it also encourages discussion about agriculture and rural areas like what we are doing today. Indeed. And Zhongle, your
1: work takes you on the ground to the fields and no pun intended. Tell us what you've witnessed in the field, the biggest achievements worth celebrating in Chinese villages these days.
0: Yeah, sure. I actually was personally invited by two e-commerce companies in the previous celebration. Remember very correctly, that was two years ago, I attended this Pinduoduo online consumption live streaming sales and I stayed over there, you know, for almost the whole afternoon and the whole night to see all the very exciting sales by the farmers in the studio. You know, trying to promote what they have harvested from the field to the online citizens. So I think that is a very exciting moment. And uh, next year, I was invited by JD.com to also uh, join their online sales. That was also very interesting because later probably I will share more because I saw several of the products or from my project. So oh. that was really even more exciting to see my uh, village's products is on the platform is you know achieving higher and higher of um, Incomes for the smallholder farmers. So that is really exciting to have this celebration to really increase the income for the smallholder farmers So that's real how to say um, outcome Mm. for this celebration It's not only the celebration of the harvest but also to change the harvest to money for the farmers.
1: Yeah, and that's really what would make a big difference for the local people. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and also to witness your fruit of labor come into fruition in that sense. And also e-commerce sounds to be like a big part of, well, the end of the agricultural process. And that's really interesting, because I think that also kind of signifies the general climate of commerce in this country as well. Um, Rural affairs have been given the number one spot in the national government work plan for 20 consecutive years since 2004. Further, the government has been pushing for rural revitalization in recent years. So Li Yi, we've discussed this in different aspects of it on the show, but could you dissect for us the roadmap of bringing vitality back into the rural areas as what the government hopes to do?
2: Sure. As you said, I think rural affairs have been top priority here in China. Uh, for example, we have the number one central document, which is actually the first policy document released by the China's central authorities each year, which is considered as an indicator of uh, national policy priorities each year. And as you said, rural affairs and work on agriculture, rural areas have been high on agenda for 20 years and also we have a very special rural vitalization strategy which was first proposed as a key move for development of a modernized economy in 2017 the content of this policy actually involves a lot of areas and sectors for example we, we want to improve the quality of agricultural development we want to have smart farming we want to have green development in rural areas and also we want to create a new rural governance system in local villages and also providing greater assistance to talents and farmers is also a huge priority for Mm -hmm. this policy. And I think for the roadmap of this policy, we have been, like China has vowed to eliminate extreme poverty by 2020 and that goal has already been achieved because at the end of 2020, nearly 100 million people in rural areas who were living below the current poverty threshold or shook of poverty and now the next step by 2035 we are aiming to achieve like the basic modernization of agriculture and rural areas and then by 2050 we want to make sure that rural areas in China to see all-round vitalization what well, sounds like a very ambitious goal however we have achieved a lot of progress and results in fruits but still a challenging work considering like vast rural population living in rural areas here in China and though the infrastructure like the transportation still needs to be enhanced and also we want to make sure we are proposing a sustainable development of farming method which is also high on the agenda I think uh, work from those local practices and also FAO can help to provide some experiences definitely and also a lot of the things that you mentioned earlier
1: what the Chinese national government has proposed it dovetails with what the UN sustainable development goals uh, are stipulated as so Don Le, could you tell us a bit more about how China's rural development can align with UN's SDGs
0: yeah sure I think just Lee shared about our China's great achievement on the poverty elevation so I think that is one of the biggest achievement uh, made so far made by China towards the SDGs especially SDG one no poverty so I think global international organizations including World Bank and FAO and several others have already fully recognized the China's contribution to this SDG one because China could achieve this 10 years in advance of the 2030. So that is the that has to be acknowledged. Second is, as we all know, rural vitalization and rural poverty is is very comprehensive dimension. It doesn't only include poverty, but also a whole system. For example, the infrastructure, the environment, the people's livelihood, you know, all this education, etc., health. So all these are also go beyond only SDG one, like SDG two, uh, which is zero hunger, because, as everybody knows, we are not only aiming to produce enough food, but also enough nutritious food. So that is what we call uh, the zero hunger. And also, as well as, for example, women equality, as well as uh, rural environment, forestry, water, etc. So I think, so far from our analysis, China's rural vitalization not only contributes to SDG one, but so many others.
1: Yes, and. When you have an international discussion with a lot of people who either work in the field or are interested in, I call it the betterment of humankind, and sometimes the criticism towards some of the practices here actually would uh, tilt towards the other SDGs than poverty alleviation, other than development, because this is what China has been focused on and I think have been doing a tremendous job. But when you talk about maybe higher quality, when it comes to some of the softer sides of things, but really important parts of the SDGs, and then that's those areas where maybe there needs to be more of a push or more of um, concentrated efforts, or maybe longer term of efforts to achieve, such as equality, such as the environment. And a lot of these issues, like you see them in the news a lot. But um, um, often it feels like, you know, how do you go from talking the talk to walking the walk is the yeah. most difficult part. But also that's the higher quality bit, which I think really deserves more of our attention, even if it starts with a discussion, a roundtable that kind of thing. Do you feel that on the ground when you're working with all the locals in different areas in China when it comes to the development for villages?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, Here I could give you probably one example. You know, under our trainings to the smallholder farmers, there's one element, which is the integrated pest management. Basically, it's how to control the plant diseases with a more greener method. So as we all know, Chinese government is paying lots of attention on this because it has multiple dimensions of perspectives. It contributes to the food safety because everybody in the cities, we care about the, whether the food is safe. So that is very important. Second is, you know, for the smallholder farmers who are doing this pest management practice on the ground, if they don't manage the pesticides well, that will be damaging to their body health. Mm -hmm. So in our training, we also made it very clear to our rural female farmers because normally, I don't have the specific data, but on many cases, this work is being done by female farmers. So Mm -hmm. if they don't pay attention to the pesticides, if she is being pregnant or a new mom, that will also damage her baby's health. So Mm -hmm. it is all you know, associated, related. Yeah. So from the training, we let the rural female farmers know all these associated causes and uh, results, et cetera. And third, you know, while we're talking about education, I think as many people may think, farmers know how to do farming. Mm. But actually, nowadays, all these farming technologies, all the pesticides, soil management, they are all changing very quickly. And all this require constant learning. I think the Chinese government is providing lots of systematic trainings to the farmers already and FAO is also working on this dimension. For example, we provided this kind of farmer field school training to organize the smallholder farms to know what are the new methods of farming? For example, the digital technologies Mm -hmm. like the e-commerce, like how to use drones to do the pest management. So all these are all new tools they should know. Otherwise, they are just following the traditional way, which probably is fading out of the farming mm. history. So that is I would say, of course, you know, agriculture is just agriculture, but agriculture is not only agriculture. It relates to our urban citizens, it relates to our rural environment, it relates to the rural farmers' health, it relates to everything.
2: I think that's exactly the sustainable farming method we're talking about we really want to build the whole system into a direction toward sustainable development as you said it's not only about like increasing yields it's not only about like earning more money for farmers it's also about building a like more livable environment for them which in the end benefits everybody and also what you shared about like uh, training farmers I think that's also something I've been observing in some farmers across China because I think normally there has been a traditional conception that farmers know everything about farming but actually they do not because normally people think that farmers especially those elderly farmers who have been like planting for decades and years they know very well about their land and what to produce what to grow how to grow however I think in reality when talking about especially when talking about building sustainable and modernized agriculture methods training and also cultivating new skills is a very common topic of discussion because actually we are providing like new and updated technology and knowledge and skills to help them adapt to modern agricultural practices and as you said the pest control is a very good example and also here I want to share another example I observe on a small village on um, small farm called Qixing farm in northeastern China's Heilongjiang province it's actually already a very modernized and advanced farm because we know that northeastern part of China is known as the major place of production of rice and they have very advantageous geographical locations in which they have like huge plains and huge paddy fields and there I learned that actually local farms have been like paying attention to upgrading farming skills since decades ago like they are one of the earliest probably that could be more accurate to introduce modern machinery and also they are also starting to offer workshops and training programs to teach and updating farming skills to local farmers since years ago i think that's also the very secret of modernized agriculture
1: yes and that sounds like a person that will do well regardless of the field he or she ventures into because the these days everything's changing so quickly. Just look at the development of AI. Yeah. One month in the world of the internet, we're AI these days, yeah. that's like a century yeah. of um, you know, so many new skills, new knowledge we need to learn and it's no different for farmers by the sound of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Here and also I want to add one more perspective mm-hmm. is you know, while we we're talking about this modernized agriculture, there's another thing FO is also promoting Global is we have to think about the conservation of traditional agriculture. Mm. This is something we have to always bear in mind because another very uh, key example is also from this project. You know, audience know what kind of honey you're drinking and what kind of bee are producing your honey. Mm. So basically, I think there's data showing that majority of the honey produced in China are originally from Italy. So now China is promoting the Chinese local bee Farming like the Chinese bee honey and Chinese bee farming, etc. So, from our training, we are also trying to encourage the local bee farmers who are having the Chinese bee family Mm. raising Mm. to uh, share their stories because we believe only by doing conserving our own traditional agriculture methods, then we could be more modernized with this Mm. kind of new tools, new technologies, Mm. etc. So, I think. Agriculture is very interesting. It combines both of the traditional ones and also the modern ones.
1: Yes, and combining the two, and can they always work in harmony? Is it not like one replaces the
0: other? Um, I wouldn't say it's replacement because we cannot only have one variety of a crop or an animal in our society so that is why i feel is promoting the biodiversity of food and agriculture so in china we are promoting both chinese bee and the foreign bee together but in some regions where the local bee have more advantages we then promote the local bees yeah so that is very
1: that is very interesting yeah, and yeah. also on a previous show we did a few months ago we talked about the protection of wild Asian elephants and beekeeping yeah. and how that can, well, actually the beekeeping part can bring revenue to the local residents. And when they have the money, when they don't need to come in such close contact or invade the lands of the elephants, maybe that will achieve more of a harmonious coexistence of humans and wildlife. And, and also that is that is one theme that we do talk about here in China as well. But if I may circle back to something that you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I find it to be fascinating and also kind of a blind spot in a lot of the reporting of smart technology being used here in China in agriculture. That is, we see there is this one side of things that's bright and shiny and so promising that is Brand new, cutting-edge technology being utilized in China, in agriculture, in the rural areas, period. And you mentioned drones. But also at the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, hey, the the flip side of the coin is, um, do that many farmers have the money, have the initial investment to even get their hands on the technology. I wouldn't imagine drones to be particularly cheap, even though these days the prices have gone down thanks to some of the mega companies that have ventured into this field. Okay, so my question is this. When we talk about new technologies being applied here, really how widespread is it? And also, has it overcome the issue of Actually, having some practical needs, uh, fulfilling the practical needs of farmers, instead of, you know, sometimes we've yeah. seen that um, just having the yeah. bright shiny technology there, but it only okay. rests on the shelf.
0: Yeah, I got a punch. Here, I wanted to tell you a joke, but which is a um, you know a real story from me. You know, I my job deals with. You know all this kind of digital agriculture tools innovation etc so two years ago i bought this um kind of product it's a blockchain chicken so that product is from the advertisement we know that you know this chicken from born to death and all the information are embedded into this kind of chip and the chip once you scan the qr code you will get the daily movement of this Mm -hmm. specific chicken, and that chicken costs about 200 RMB. So what I want to say is, for this type of product, I personally think they're probably not so needed by the market now especially in China. But as a technology, it certainly has some kind of implications in the industry. To answer your question more directly, I think Chinese government and also the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs uh, published this digital agriculture rate of China annually. From the historical, I think three or four editions of the report, we could see the increasement of the China's digital agriculture increased annually. So I do think this is fully supported by the Chinese government because this is the future of the agriculture. And to answer you with more technical contribution from FAO, FAO published this digital agriculture for globally trend challenges. We have published reports on AI, artificial intelligence, on blockchain, on big data, on drones. So I think all these mentioned technology, they all have very broad implications in all the value chains of agriculture, including the crop plantation, the poultry husbandry, including the uh, aquaculture fishery, and also including the general rural farming practices. So I think all this are generating globally and they have very vast implications. And I would say FAO is encouraging the development and the research on this, but also we warn the researchers, companies, countries to, how to say, be careful about the scope Mm -hmm. of the implication. Because sometimes if the technology couldn't bring value added, for example, if the cost effective is not effective, then probably it's a waste of resources.
1: Right. And what does it look like for an average farmer like my Average Joe or Jane farmer using all these technologies It seems very far away from, you know, how does like AI and blockchain, how does it matter to me?
0: Yeah. Okay. There's one example I remember very clearly is during the COVID breakout in Hubei province in 2020, uh, we have a very good case we know from the Food Hero campaign we cognized organized in China. So there's one female farmer in some county near Wuhan and they use this drone for the spring seed planting because at the springtime, it is the most serious season for the uh, COVID. So there's basically no chance for everybody to get out of the home to do the plantation. So they use the drone to plant the seed. So I think that's a very practical, good case showing that under certain circumstances, drone could be used as an alternative option.
1: Do they rent the drone from the community, or where yeah. do they get the drone from?
0: Yeah, this is a very interesting, how to say, new modality I observed in China, and also captured and supported by the Chinese government, is you will see lots of this, what we call, special agricultural service company or agency being set up in several places, All across China so they basically provide all kinds of services relating to plantation to pest management to harvesting to you know pesticides fertilizer you know all kinds of services you can name it and then basically they rent or they buy it directly and then they provide the service to the farmers farmers will pay a very I can't say low but uh, acceptable prices to these organizations. And then they got the service. That's
1: very interesting. And we will get into more details of the 16 impoverished villages that FAO has supported with the help of the Chinese government right after this break. We'll be back. How are you? What's on your mind? Let's have a heart-to-heart on Roundtable. Ask us anything. We'll help you answer it. Send a voice memo to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. We'll play your question on Roundtable, then talk through it on the live show. Take care. We can't wait for our heart-to-heart with you. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing roundtable roundtable
2: roundtable
1: connecting china and the world
2: we bring you fun and timely discussions about what's
1: affecting our lives everywhere every day tune in to roundtable where the east meets the west and understanding is the goal
0: discussion keeps the world turning
1: this is roundtable You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. For the following discussion, I'm joined by Li Yi and special guest, Dong Le, Program Officer of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, or FAO's China Office. The Food and Agriculture Organization must have many things on the agenda. What considerations propelled you in choosing to carry forward this program of 16 impoverished villages in China? And also, before we turn on the mic, uh, we talked a little bit about there were four counties that you piloted the program, and then what were you looking for when you were picking these um, villages that would receive the special help?
0: Yeah, actually, all this dialogue started from twenty eighteen. So, uh, as Li just previously mentioned, that was during the time of China's rural poverty eradication. So, at that time, we piloted um, this four counties from four provinces. It's from Hunan, Hubei, Hainan, and Sichuan. So, all the four counties from all the mentioned. Provinces are located in the mountainous region. So basically as we discussed earlier transportation Infrastructure are the main obstacles. I would say for the rural poverty So I think all the four countries are from The remote mountainous region and also all the four countries are based in this uh, ethnicity group region So we also would like to channel more kind of support inputs to these regions to work together with the local governments and the multiple stakeholders to transform the rural areas. And also I would say this project was very special. It happened from the transition of rural poverty alleviation to rural revitalization. So there are so many changes we could see on the ground, including infrastructure, including the livelihoods, including the, the morale of the smallholder farmers. I would say this project from the very beginning is for the rural poverty eradication but in the end we witnessed the change and the transition towards rural revitalization.
2: But then you know my question is because you choose four different locations in China although they are basically in the mountainous regions, as you said. But the thing is that, especially when we talk about rural vitalization, especially when you look at rural areas in China, villages in China, things can be hugely different, especially when you consider the geographical locations, their conditions, their culture, and also their transportation conditions. Especially, you know, when you compare different regions, the eastern part of China is much more developed than the western and middle part, and the same thing for the rural areas. so I'm wondering how you like you adopt the right you know approach to help different villages to prosper. It must be like a very complicated challenge,
0: right? You're totally right. This is really really challenging. You know, I want to give you one example. There's two counties respectively from Hunan and Hubei provinces. Um, they are the so-called closest two counties in China, and just one bridge away, basically. Mm-hmm. So even for these two counties. Basically, we have eight villages from the two countries. All the villages, they have very different uh, agricultural products because this is in the mountains region. So from one village to each other, probably it took about four hours of car. Mm. So they have different types of tea, different types of rice, uh, fruits and ginger and the lily flower, lily seeds, whatsoever. So basically for each village, we have to identify the local needs, their local featured agriculture development industry, their needs, their challenges, and then we will uh, allocate the requested teachers, tutors, resources into our trainings, into our program. So that is really challenging. But I would say this is also very uh, rewarding because from our training, we could see we developed a very comprehensive curriculum, like including the pig farming to fruit plantation to the orange to rice plantation, etc. So I think, yes, even provinces are different from each other. Villages are also different from each other.
1: That is so fascinating. Um, this reminds me of uh, some past experiences of visiting different parts of China. And sometimes, when you look at the um, geo map, it's actually very short distance between like two villages. But maybe it's a fact of. Um, one lake mm-hmm. or maybe a mountain or a hill in the middle mm-hmm. that makes these two villages have different culture different dialect mm-hmm. and all kinds of living habits and just by the way you were um, presenting your your view just now dongle it also echoes what a lot of chinese people share as sort of like an old adage that is If you want to set your foot on the road of prosperity, then you got to build road. And do you think that old adage, also, you know, it's sort of the idea that propelled China build high speed rail and, uh, you know, highways and such. Do you think this is still very much sort of a model to hold on to when it comes to Alleviating poverty as well as you know revitalizing the rural areas.
0: I totally agree. I could give you another example from the Hainan uh, pilot villages. I visited that village for three times. The first time I went there, it was 2019. We went there in the summertime after very heavy rain. Basically, everybody got the shoes wet and dirty with all the mud, you know, everywhere, trousers whatsoever. So. After two years, thanks to the central government's budget, of course, the local government's endeavors, we could see the modern road to all the smallholder farmers' households. Basically, we could reach each household without, you know, dirtying our trousers and shoes anymore. And last year, I went there, you know, on my personal vacation. And that village was regarded as China's best, the most beautiful villages. And they have the four languages of guidance, you know, all over the village, like English, Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. And there's a local rice wine brew kind of factory and, um, you know, sales store. And basically, I talked to that store owner, and uh, who also joined our training years back, and he also mentioned the contribution of the road. Thanks to the road, now his products, I mean, the wines, you know, with glasses, with the kind of Pottery, you know mm-hmm. container now could be delivered outside safely and mm-hmm. um, without any trouble of the rain you know the road etc so I do totally agree that infrastructure is the foundation for rural poverty elevation.
2: I think that's a very in- inter- interesting example because I think uh, when we talk talking about building infrastructure sometimes we might be only like focusing on the role of promoting logistics to you know Uh, deliver those agricultural products to the outside world of course it plays a very important role but then uh, the example you mentioned I think reminds me of like a lot of similar approaches adopted by especially remote villages here in China because when they are you know trying to promote better infrastructure transportation uh, maybe with the initial purpose to help boost the sales of agricultural products in the end they find that they are discovering a new like development path because they might be developing agriculture tourism that is a very common approach for a lot of remote villages uh, for example we went to Wallanchob in Mongolia before and we talked to some villagers and farmers in a small village in Wallanchob and they have been like uh, actively promoting agriculture tourism because they feel like it's a very original and organic way to attract the citizens from cities and and that could just, in the end, turn to an actual approach to make revenue for the local governments. That is also a very common approach for revitalization here in China, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. There, actually, I want to share one more example we uh, tested in our project. Is we identified several products in the Hunan, Hubei uh, two countries. I think there's one local special ginger called a crusted ginger, and also there's a special tea, wine tea, and also there's a local orange. So basically, we invited uh, logo designers from Tsinghua University and also the agricultural products from Ministry of Agriculture. We invited experts from both of the the product and also the appearance Mm -hmm. to investigate the local products. So basically, in the end, we provided with the local farmers the very professionally designed logo, that will attract urban consumers. Mm-hmm. And also, we also invited the MARA, the Ministry of Agriculture Rural Affairs experts, to help them on the logo uh, certification, because as we all know, uh, urban consumers pay a lot of attention on the food safety. So if there's no, you know, this kind of green logo or organic food or whatsoever, probably people will be less confident about the food safety. So we, also trying to promote the rural tourism by providing more support on the packaging and also the food safety logo side of the local agriculture products. Very interesting intervention.
2: Yes, and I think what you just mentioned about like uh, inviting professors from universities to like help design the logos of the product, I think that's a very smart brand-building strategy, mm. actually, because I think, um, you know, Based on my observation and also when you look at those media reports, actually a lot of villages, especially in rural areas which they live on agriculture, they have very good agricultural products. However, they don't really know how to promote products to the outside world and maybe, of course, a lack of talent because sometimes the farmers tend to be elderly and they are not really you know so familiar with the e-commerce and live streaming and everything and on the other hand they, they feel like there's a lack of like professional knowledge about marketing I think brand building can be a very smart strategy because here I can also give you another example I also talked to a village a local village head of a small village called Xiuyun village in Sichuan province it's also a small village which doesn't really have comparative advantage it can be remote it's small and also it doesn't really have a peter industry although it relies on agriculture however this village had is very smart to design the brand for example they built a brand called Shi it sounds like a time machine but, but it's actually chicken, chicken products but however they are you know use this smart tactics to you know sell the products to the outside world and, and uh, let the outside uh, consumers know that hey we have organic and very 100% um, original Chicken, which of high quality, and also we are selling a, in a smart way, and also they are building like a restaurant in the towns nearby the village, so that you know people living in the town and also living in the nearby cities can have a one hundred percent organic taste of agricultural product. So I think maybe in your pro- project, I think there are a lot of similar approaches adopted, right? Yeah, sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remember one case is from the Liye Town, uh, Longshan County, and the Hunan Province. So this town actually so far discovered the most Qin dynasty bamboo slips with the characters so this little town also has this you know whole collection of the original bamboo slips so we invited the professors from Tiong University to you know do lots of this kind of characters investigation so in the end for the local orange we captured the traditional character of Li Ye character from the Qin dynasty's bamboo So basically, we also try to promote the local culture and also from the town to let more people know, Okay, this town doesn't only produce orange, but also has lots of vast of the Chinese culture supporting this local agriculture products.
1: Yeah. Can I just add one more question to this subject? That is okay. So there's one tendency we have in China that is one hot new thing becomes popular. Uh, be it solar power, lithium batteries, or e commerce marketing, everybody jumps on the exactly same bandwagon. It becomes a crowded place with diminishing returns as a result. So many villages seem to be doing well, some exciting things like what you've just said, but also others are doing very similar things, having similar approaches in terms of branding or just trying to break into the e-commerce marketplace or finding new customers. And so maybe this is a question for you to sort of take a step back and look at how do they find or create their competitive edge and leverage it in development? Because not every village obviously is going to be so lucky to receive your sort of laser-focused attention.
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. Actually, I was asked by several farmers from the trainings, are you expecting us to open the store online? (laughs) You know, after, you know, the training on the e-commerce. So I said, actually, no, that is not our intention to create such kind of uh, ecosystem of everybody's online having their store, because our attention is to, first, let our farmers know now in addition to the traditional marketing we have a new option second if in that region like village level township level or county level there could be one or two leaders out of the trained farmers tutors only one or two people could establish this platform he or she could already mobilize the inputs and the agriculture products from the whole community basically Mm -hmm. one or two leaders is enough we are not you know planning to train thousands of online shopper or you know live streaming broadcaster so that is not our intention and also that is not possible considering our limited resources Mm -hmm. etc.
2: Yeah, I think uh, that's a very interesting point because when talking about cultivating new talents, especially in farming areas, some people might just think, oh, I'm just turning to a live streamer from a farmer. That is very traditional misconception. However, I think... I think the major purpose of linking those farmers, especially in remote villages, to internet, to e-commerce, to new and modern farming practices is really to maybe give them a whole picture of, of what's going on in the huge market and especially the internet can really offer them a lot of information and resources and they can really understand maybe how to make informed decision when talking about rural development and also if they uh, have more accurate understanding of the market, uh, they are really aware of what is the cutting edge way of promoting agricultural products, which can also help them to you know, develop their own businesses. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And there's been a lot of talk about cultivating talent and attracting talent back into the rural areas. Do you think that has been realized to a large extent, or what are your observations on the ground?
0: Yeah, I think from all the four countries and 16 villages of training that I attended, I would say, Almost half of the participants to our trainings are the so-called new returned farmers from the urban area due to many reasons like maybe some people went back because of their elderly people preferring staying at home so they have to take care of them or because they think um, you know city lives probably are not satisfying their career development so they went back or it's because they think oh, maybe agriculture and farming are the future So. It is really diversified, I would say, a group of Mm -hmm. people returning back to the rural area. But what has been common, what we discussed earlier is, they are not familiar with the farming Mm -hmm. anymore, or not at all. Because I remember one female farmer, so-called farmer, because she's now in the rural area, but she hasn't been doing farming for her whole life. Mm -hmm. So she is probably in her early 40s. And all her previous you know Experience. years are in the yeah. urban area so she said my parents they are now very old and I my children are now still very young I have to do the farming I don't know other things to do but I don't know how to do it so I think this is kind of the challenge we observed so I think the government and also I feel of course many other partners are working on it by providing these trainings as we discussed earlier this trainings has to be consistent it's not like annually just a one time because uh, maybe they will change their crop you know, from time to time. Maybe they will have to think about the market price and then change or add another alternative crop. So all this requires continuous supporting on the capacity development.
1: Yeah, what you're alluding to is something that reflects social change in China in the last 40 plus years. That is... Well, for a few decades, we've been talking about migrant workers, you know, those who were originally from the rural area come into neighboring counties, cities to find work or come to the megacities of China to find work. And through their arduous contributions, they have built the cities that so many of us enjoy the very hospitable and convenient services every day and seriously, you know, hats off to all those hardworking people in our society. And then, you know, time moves on. And then we started to encounter the issue of maybe some of the kids of these folks might not be able to join their parents in the cities. And then you look at uh, issues in some of these uh, rural villages, which is something we've talked about for years on the show. That is, you've got younger people you know, being absorbed into the workforce in cities. And then there's the elderly, there's children and, and females sort of left in the villages. And now you're talking about, well, with a changing economy and society, then maybe you can attract people to go back to the villages, go back to the hometowns, and it is not a second-rate choice. It should be a choice that can truly benefit people, and that's what will truly attract people to go to whatever that place is. So do you see things changing in terms of infrastructure, in terms of policy, in terms of how people are viewing? the changing dynamics in our society.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not sure whether you've heard of this joke now. I've often heard from the rural um, partners is, if you have land, then you are the future. So basically, (laughs) I think that's already demonstrates the belief and the confidence from the farmers on holding the land and being the farmers So I think, as you just mentioned, the policy, I would say the rural revitalization strategy has been the fundamental policy, ennobling policy to not only attract people going back to the rural area, but also to revitalize the rural area. It's not only farming, it's not only agriculture, it includes the whole ecosystems surrounding the rural community, the agriculture the culture, the organization, you know, it's an ecosystem thing. So I think the policy is there. And after three years, since 2020, I think the changes are happening tremendously. But of course, it takes time. As Li just mentioned, this is the 2035 goal for the whole China. So I think from the places I went, I think the infrastructure has changed a lot as I earlier mentioned the road improvement and also the electricity as well as the internet. Talking back to the digital agriculture implications, one of the fundamental condition are electricity and internet. So without electricity or internet, you cannot have the big data, you know, uploaded. You cannot have the drones flying on the crop fields. So I think all those are improving, and I think they are paving the way towards the rural revitalization.
1: Right. And with this project of FAO with these 16 villages that you're giving this um, specific focus to help them out, what's the goal? Like how do you judge? like what signifies that we did it? It's done.
0: Yeah, that's a very hard question, I would say, you know, to for international organizations to evaluate the effectiveness, efficiency of the project, it requires lots of methodology. But in short, I always say we are not contributing to all the 17 SDGs. We cannot say that because mm-hmm. this is a very tiny project. We are only doing the piloting. But I could say thanks to, and also this is not only our project. Our project is happening in this big, backdrop of china's revitalization and also the poverty elevation in the previous terms so all this could be possible thanks first to the big backdrop second is because of our intervention on the farmers training on the e-commerce on the finance we could sensitizing the piloted villagers on the new tools on the new trend i think that is the sdgs implication of course after the project, we would also depend on the already trained tutors who are you know, the local farmers, who are the local farmers leaders, to rely on them to continuously provide capacity development to the rural farmers. So I think that is also what we, we regard as sustainability of the project because the project will certainly end at a certain time, but the trained tutors will stay there and they are the local owners.
1: And also this summer, The world has just witnessed an exceptional amount of extreme downpours, floods, heat waves, you name it. And when it comes to agriculture, they're particularly vulnerable to the climate and weather. So at this particular time in history, this is a big question, actually, how do today's farmers mitigate these increasing risks that we're experiencing every day?
0: Yeah, as you said, this is a really large topic. I would say in general, this relates to agriculture's contribution to climate change mitigation and adaptation. So there's a number I want to share is, globally speaking, 31% of greenhouse gas emissions are actually coming from agriculture food systems. Basically, this is even much larger than some of other sectors we probably think like the infrastructure energy or any other ones, but agriculture is actually the one of the largest contributor. So how we can control or reduce the carbon emissions from the food agriculture systems is a huge topic. I think there are so many, um, uh, how to say, methodologies and measures. One of them, as we discussed earlier, is digital agriculture. And because uh, only uh, by including this innovative technologies, we could change the way um, that we do things basically what we call the usual ways and then try to be different I think FAO has been doing lots of um, innovative tools to alert the farmers For example, we can we could do this agriculture weather forecasting based on the historical weather information we could uh, FAO already developed this kind of uh, uh, apps and also the uh, soil water apps basically to inform the farmers the water percentage contained in the soil to, how to say, advise on when is the best time to do the irrigation. So Mm. I think this is not only like save water, but also try to be more smart in the farming practices. Yeah, so in general, I think agriculture has a lot to do to mitigate and adapt to the climate change.
1: Okay, so what is the biggest challenge that you guys have yet to overcome right now
0: I think there are lots of challenges as we just discussed and I think the most urgent one and difficult one would be calling on everybody's attention and being handy in hand for the partnership because as SDG is approaching in only seven years and FAO Chinese government private sector academia and the public smallholder farmers we really have to work together to tackle on these challenges because without one category of partners, we cannot achieve the SDGs. For example, without researchers, we cannot channel the most advanced technology onto the ground. Without the private sector, probably we are only talking with the governments that will not channel the business scene. Without the smallholder farmers, we are basically talking in the air. So I think it really requires everybody on board to pay attention to the green agriculture, the digital agriculture to contribute to the rural revitalization. I think that is the challenging part and the most desirable part. And that
1: is what we want to leave you with on today's show. Thank you so much, Dong Le, program officer from the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization's China office for swinging by and sharing such wonderful thoughts.
0: Thank you very much. It's my great pleasure.
1: And thank you, Li Yi, for always having something unique and insightful to share on the show. Thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcast at Roundtable China. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.
0: Want deep analysis of the biggest and unmissable
1: news stories of the day? Subscribe to The Top Story for a stronger understanding of all the top events that occur in China and around the world. Are you interested in learning Chinese? I always tell my students that listening is the key to mastering the language. Check out Takeaway Chinese, where you can start learning the language quickly and enjoyably. No matter if you're a rookie or a sophisticated Chinese learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway
2: Chinese. A world starts with 你好.
1: Ever worry that you'll miss out on breaking events? Tune in to Today to get the latest news and analysis on the important stories in China and around the globe. Today, illuminating the news that matters to you.